0: Are you looking for a different way to warehouse your product? Check out John from Secure Skids on episode 46. He walks us through the newest platform to hit the market, what he's calling the Airbnb to warehousing.
1: Are you looking for short term storage solutions? You have an empty warehouse space that you need to be filled. Secure Skids is your Airbnb for warehousing, connecting vacant warehouse space with companies that need space. For their products, visit them at SecureSkids.com for more information and to sign up for free. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, changes in the industry and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put sexy into supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick.
0: Good afternoon, Two Babes listeners. We hope that wherever you are listening from, the sun is shining and you are having a great day. How are you looking at integrated business planning into the future? Stephen Haney is going to tell us about how to start planning for 2025 today. Steve is a passionate international speaker and writer who has had over 20 years' experience in global multi-site supply chain planning for Fortune 100 and 500 manufacturing companies of retail consumable goods, chemical plants, and medical device products. He has also led numerous IBP, SNOP, SIOP implementations and enhancement projects over his career. Currently, as the Director of Supply Chain for Newell Brands, Applied Materials, he oversees the SIOP process, production planning, procurement, warehousing, and logistics to service numerous omni-channel retailers, including Walmart, The Home Depot, Lowe's, and Amazon. Welcome to the show, Stephen. We're excited to have you on.
2: Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Well, you recently spoke about this topic at the Impact Manufacturing Summit in Las Vegas. How was the show?
2: Oh, that was a great show. Um, You know, big attendance. It was a record year for them and um, a lot of interaction with uh, large companies. And it was just a great time. You know, good suppliers uh, at the conference and also attendees. So really enjoyed it. Good, good, good. So let's get started. What
0: is IBP? And uh, just for our listeners, that's integrated business planning.
2: Right. So let me try to start off, I guess, 10,000 foot level. You know, what I would say is basically it's getting everyone in the rowboat and rowing the same direction in the organization based on, you know, what the current market environment's going on, what's the goals and where everyone's anticipating things are going with their current plan. So, at a high level, that's the way most people will be looking at it. Now, if you go a little bit deeper, it is obviously an operating model, you know, and it should be the sole or single operating model that an enterprise should be using. And it should go across the whole environment, and it should include things both externally and internally. It should include you know, their financial factors, what their objectives are there, and also that tactical execution to make things – make sure they all line together. If I go one step down further, again, when you start thinking about external factors, there's so much going on these days, especially within the last you know, two to three years when you start talking about market conditions, uh, the politics that's going on currently, Brexit. Um, what we're seeing in commodity pricing with chemicals, oil, things like that, it's been a very d- not dynamic market environment. And then also the expectations from the stock market and everything that's going on where stockholders are expecting more and more in a shorter time period for the, you know, that organization, whether it's public or the private equity firms that own companies. So it. it you got to get everyone on the same page and that's a lot easier said than done.
1: Excellent. Steve, the next question is what do CEOs struggle with today?
2: Good question, Nick. Um, you know, when you look at it, doing that, getting everyone on the boat and rowing in the same direction is easier said than done. When you start looking at functional areas, a lot of them have different objectives and sometimes, depending on how the organization's set up, they can be conflicting objectives. So when I say that, you know, sales, a lot of times looking at that top line and how they push those sales, where sometimes the operations group may not have the products or there might be supply disruptions or, you know, procurement. They might be looking at things like, you know, what's my optimal per piece cost, but from an economics or total cost of ownership, that might not be always the best thing for the company so how do you get everyone kinda going in the same direction understanding what that key objectives are for the organization and everyone working for them together in unity and when you start talking about not only different functions but a lot of larger plants like some of the ones you know where I have worked in my past and do currently you have multiple sites across the world so not only is it getting that message out there, but that proper execution and then just that messaging because things are so dynamic these days and changing frequently, um, it can be difficult.
0: Absolutely and I think there's an element of uh, discipline in there as well, right? I mean it's one thing to know the vision and it's it's the one it's another thing for execution, but there's got to be a the same type of discipline among that you know top level management to be able to you know, get that execution done.
2: You, you are absolutely right, sir. When you look at it, it's one thing for defining a strategy and defining it. Well, even in the current market environment, but that tactical execution is what I consider. And, you know, where I get a lot involved where, so I can say that some of the harder things, because it's that tactical execution across all elements, you know, whether it's the production, the planning, the logistics or for each geographic region, because there's a lot of different things happening in different parts of the world, um, as we you know, talked about with just political environment and everything else right now. So it is hard to get uh, that kind of strategy from that senior management down to each level of the organization in that tactical execution.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk about the evolution of IBP. What has been that evolution?
2: Well, if we go back and start looking at kind of the early part of it and trying to do that supply-demand balancing of what does the customer want versus what can we sell to them as a business, you know, if we go back to the first mainframe computers and ERP systems, which is your enterprise resource planning, you know, back in the day when they were large mainframes, which took basically the size of a room, you had what was referred to as an MRP system. And that stands for Materials Requirements Planning, and it was, you know, trying to balance what you believed was your demand going to be, and then trying to have a planning system that would manage that accordingly. And, you know, they started off very basic. And it started growing as time went on, and they started putting a lot more acronyms. You get into the alphabet soup of, you know, the different modules that you could purchase. You started going into MPS systems, DRP systems, CRP systems, and a lot of other ones that a lot of the big um, systems would offer. You start going from a planning system, you move to then the first kind of that collaborative one, Um, Ollie White in the early 80s came out with SNOP, and that stands for, you know, sales and operations planning and getting away from just, hey, the supply chain or the purchasing or the planning group back in the corner in their offices doing it independently by themselves, trying to get that collaboration to start. And that SNOP would look at how do you balance the forecasted demand and supply? And at that point, it was a lot of looking at units the actual quantity, what did I want to do and how did I want to do it? We start going into the 90s, and at that point you started hearing about the acronym SIOP, and finance started getting involved with it more. And instead of just the sales group and the operations and procurement people, they started saying, how do we do this more economically? And we need to start looking at things like inventory churns. Are we doing this cost-effectively? even if you're balancing that supply and demand do you have too much inventory operations you know what is your economic order quantities and are you doing this efficiently that you're not doing overruns or changeovers too often and you start looking at how do we do this most economically so you want to balance that supply and demand but now you want to do it in a very strong financial line for the bottom line and then you know recently since we started coming into the last decade, we started hearing about the IPP, and it's looking more of those market environments tying into what your customers are doing, your suppliers. Um, you start seeing other functional groups like HR; they're coming in because of the labor. You know, a lot of businesses have seasonal seasonality to it, where it's, you have to be able to flex with your labor. You got engineering and product development coming in, um, so there's more. It's a fully integrated, not just within the organization, but also elements of the outside. And then within the last, you know, short term, we're starting to see the artificial intelligence coming out. And that's, you know, we'll we'll start talking further in this uh, interview, but that's the newest and the latest and greatest. And probably what we're seeing, the quickest, where things are changing most dramatically these days.
0: Well, and I guess that's where the, uh, you know, the, the acronym comes from, you know, integrated business planning. I mean, starting to take a look at all of the active units of the business, bringing them together to really drive forward the company successfully. Because I think, as you've mentioned in the past, they've looked at, you know, businesses have looked at different units um, in different capacities, you know, bringing certain units together, but not really bringing the whole business together.
2: That is correct. And what everyone needs to be aware of, a lot of times when people hear some of these acronyms in the collaborative planning, whether it's, you know, the original SNOP, SIOP, or SIOP, IDP, a lot of people think about manufacturing exclusively. But this applies to service companies. It is supply, Just about any kind of business, this can be integrated in just from a collaborative. Is everyone kind of in that boat rowing the same direction at the same pace. And if you ask one person, do you get you know, the same answer to the question from everyone of what is our key strategic goals and how does your role apply getting there?
1: So Steve, we just talked about the evolution. Could we go into the maturity stages of IBP now?
2: Sure. Um, the one thing that I found interesting, you know, I've been speaking now on this for around two years. I started off with APEX, and I did a speaking event in Vegas. And I had a gentleman who came up to me after my uh, event, and he said, would you be willing to speak at mine? And I said, yeah, always willing to do this. Uh, Where are you from? And he said, from Sapex. And I've never heard of Sapex before, and that's the South Africa branch of APEX. And we were able to work it out, and it was a great event there. And when I spoke there, I wanted to do something on the maturity stages of IBP or SNOP. And it was really interesting. Um, a question for the two of you. By any chance, is anyone in front of a computer where you guys are sitting? Uh, no, actually, we're not. The, the studio,
0: we, we have a
1: drum set, but that's about <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> okay, well, you can play a drum set, but the moral of the story is at that conference, I presented uh, my version. Uh, I went out there, I Googled it, couldn't find anything that really I felt from my two decades of experience leading these, implementing these projects. And just, uh, I thought, you know, there, there was ones out there from Gardner. There was ones out there from steel wedge, Ollie white. And I just didn't feel it fit what I thought and was seeing and what, I, you know, kind of when I train things. So I ended up making my own. And that's the one that we're going to be talking through. But what I wanted to kind of express to you guys is it's pretty wild. If you go on Google today and you Google SNOP maturity stages and click on images to see, you know, the, the charts and tables, mine from that conference is actually the number one image that pops up. And of the top six, Mine is top three of the top six.
1: Amazing. It's mine,
2: then it goes to Gardner, and then I think it's mine again, then it uh, goes to, I think, Steel Wedge. But it shows you, you know, there's a lot of different opinions, just like anything else out there, but there's a lot of different ones that can be used. And, you know, if anyone wants to see it, you know, as we talk through this, it's a good way and an easy way for them to kind of see the points that I'm going to go through. Um, but if I go through this and just jump right into mine, I have that there's four different, stages, and they go through kind of the evolution. And the first one is reactive engagement. The next one is speculative uh, scheduling. The third one is collaborative planning. And then the fourth one, that final one, is proactive foresight. And what I do is I break it into two subsections, Uh, the internal attributes, and then you have the external ones, which we've talked a little bit about in the beginning internal is going to be you know inside your company and it's not a single site you know you can have multiple sites but those internal attributes is for your corporation or your business unit that you're using the IBP process for and you know when you look at stage one it's typically you break it into the three legs of the stool people process and technology and in that first one with reactive engagement you know, in the people, you typically see the blame game where people, they just don't talk. There's not meetings, there's not any collaboration, and they're just kind of blaming each other of what's going on. Business processes, there's no formal meetings or KPIs. Technology, there, you know, there is no reports or KPIs used at that early stage. When you move to the second one, you start going into the speculative planning. And here you start you know, their meetings start, but you start hearing a lot about the people. They start talking about they and their. So, you know, a salespeople are going to say, hey, you know, we laid out this great plan, but they couldn't execute it. Procurement team couldn't buy the raw materials. You know, they told us this or their plan was this, and it just didn't align. Again, a lot of that struggling, and people are guessing what each other is doing because they're not on the same page. From a business process, in stage two when you're doing that speculative it's a lot of hey i'm gonna you know the cya meetings and obviously a lot of people know what that cya stands for you know cover your area i won't use the other one uh, but <laughs> you can uh, we've, this we've is had where, you know you're going to be looking at oh the reason we missed the sales maybe operations didn't hit their numbers on production we didn't have the inventory or maybe operations saying hey i made it but your forecast was off by a mile and you you start covering your butt on why it wasn't being done. From a technology side, what you see a lot of time is the things that I'm talking about. It's all hindsight. You're looking in the rearview mirror, saying the reason why we didn't do this was because I was speculating one thing and something else didn't happen. When you start going to the stage three collaborative planning, you start moving into more of that cross-function collaboration. So. People start talking about, you know, we are going to do this. This is our goal, our plans together as that cross-functional, multi-site, everyone's starting to work together, shooting to them. You have that common goal, KPIs, from a process standpoint. From technology, it's more the forward-looking. You do look back, and you're going to say, hey, what's the trends and patterns? But your meeting's not majority talking about what happened in the past. You say, here's what happened in the past, but... To hit our goals, what do we have to do in the future? The what if kind of things where you start saying, if this happens or we missed the target by X last month, what do we have to do for Q3 and 4 to cover that gap that happened? And how do you resolve those issues? You get this kind of uh, stage four, the proactive foresight. That's where you start getting really strategic. Instead of it's just our goals, that's where you start getting the full alignment and challenging each other. These meetings, you know, they got to be very engaging. And it's not – people talk about collaboration. It's not the group hug where everyone's saying, hey, you know, it's a happy meeting. There is a lot of back and forth on these, and that's a necessity to move the company forward. But you got to be on the same page. you got to go back and forth challenging each other. But when everyone leaves those meetings, there has to be a unity of this is what we came out of it. Here's the actions and accountability for those actions. Yeah. and focusing on that as a business process, what you have to do in the future. From a technology, you start moving into the predictive analytics and the AI kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. I expect, if I move
2: to – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, Sarah. I
0: was just going to say about those those meetings. I mean, it's, it's so healthy to be able to go into an environment and really be able to, you know, um, portray your thoughts and, and what you think – Um, should be done towards the strategy. Like everybody should be on the same page going into that meeting. Um, But there really needs to be those intense discussions with um, a side of respect. As long as everybody is respecting each other and not downgrading anybody else's thoughts or or opinions and things like that, it can be a very constructive environment. And I really feel that, you know, they're very important to companies really moving towards success.
2: Fully agree. And, you know, as you say, it's the messaging lot. You do have to have the candidness. And if you don't challenge each other, you're not going to progress as fast as you need to. It it can't be just a passive meeting. It has to be very engaging, and people have to be very candid and open about constraints. And the unfortunate part, or difficult part, I'll, I'll say, is you have to be able to cover or uncover and discuss what is your limitation factors just on yourself, too, because obviously, you know, from my role on the supply chain side, I get the procurement, I do the schedule and the operations, and you'll have times where the salespeople want to do things. And there's times that you have to say, I don't have the capability of doing this because X, Y, and Z, but how do we cover that requirement by either outsourcing or doing other things so we hit that final goal?
0: Yeah, or even, you know, another department head saying, well, how can I help and support you on that? if you don't have the capacity at the moment, you know, what can we do to make sure that uh, you can maybe align with that that goal a little bit better or easier? Correct. Awesome. Awesome. So we just talked a little bit about, about uh, the success of, of companies, but how can companies align IBP for success? And I wanted to ask you too, because we're talking about Uh, planning for 2025 today. Was that a strategic number, 2025? I mean, that's sort of looking at it, you know, seven, eight years years ahead. So just sort of wanted to throw that one in there as well.
2: Well, the pace of change is getting faster and faster. Um, And the number that I put out there, there is no question, you know, companies are progressing at different rates. And you'd be amazed. Obviously, I know you interact. I met you at the uh, Scope Conference here in Atlanta when we were both there. And, you know, different companies are at different maturity levels, both from a IBP process and just a technology process. I've worked, as you mentioned in, in the opening, with companies that were private equity companies. That were just $100 million companies. And I've worked in Fortune 100 companies like a Honeywell that is just huge. But you see all different levels of maturities at different places where some organizations, where they're still using Excel spreadsheets. When I went into Honeywell, that was one of the things that I worked with them on getting them, you know, they were on SAP, but getting the planning on the system in a proper manner, getting them up to APO in the system. And, you know, that was something that I actually got wards from Honeywell on doing, moving them up and being the first business unit in the PMT to ever get um, a green audit, an internal audit for reports and tools. So what you see is even though you've got large companies, they're all over the place. And this progression is happening faster and faster, but it feels like sometimes the larger companies are getting left behind because of, it's harder, that culture's been embraced for so long, and it's harder to move some of those bigger organizations because they're not as agile as the startups. Does that kind of make sense of the time period?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's actually been a challenge that's come up in a couple of our past podcasts are the fact that, you know, a lot of departments, a lot of companies are still using Excel spreadsheets. Um, And it seems to be a common theme lately.
2: The one thing I would say, Sarah, is Excel is not a bad thing. And here's where kind of my pitch is on it. People who know me, I use Excel a lot, I use Access a lot. But I, people will, the one phrase that I always use is we have to use the system of record. Excel and access and tools data warehouses I use a lot of data warehouses queries um, Different items like that, but you cannot have data and planning parameters sitting in multiple standalone environments They have to be in the system of record which is typically either the ERP system Which is sitting on a server or if it's cloud-based it needs all the data needs to be there Excel access, data warehouses, data cubes, things like that are great for exception reporting and easy tools that people can interface to the end user or share with suppliers, customers, because it is something you can just attach to an email and easily share. So they are strong. I don't see them going away. But uh, again, I think. People have to get away from using them as a standalone free environment, and people are doing key punching where you have the clerical errors or just data where they don't un- update their key or, you know, that, that base system of knowledge, and they're doing it just on Excel. And it, when someone from a different function or a different plant wants to see something or corporate, they're not getting the true answer because it's all being done outside the system of record.
1: Good point. Excellent. Steve, the next question I have is, what are the opportunities in AI?
2: Well, the one thing, Nick, on that one, AI, you know, let's go and kind of explain what AI is for people who aren't been following it. You know, this is where you have a machine kind of doing the human behaviors. They're going through basically thinking. It it, a system, a computer system is learning from getting new data sources, and that could be through key punching, but it also could be through web crawling and other data sources where a computer is going to start learning itself and doing problem solving. Computers can now also start communicating people with things that they, they can talk to you, similar to what we see in a series or Alexa or Google Assistant. They, they listen to you. Um, they, we now have devices that are image recognition that you can take a picture of something or a camera, an image, and it can pick up what it is, and that's not with a barcode. You, know, you can take a picture of something without a barcode, and now there's now image recognition, and that, it's amazing where AI is going. Applying that to IBP, you start thinking about the amount of data on a Fortune 500 company across the globe. It is just immense. You know, there's companies that have hundreds of thousands of SKUs in multiple countries. When I was at Honeywell, I was running seven countries. And to roll that data up quickly, you need to have efficient things and trying to dig through all that data, both internally and externally. Internal is easier for people to get their mind around, but uh, when you start thinking about external, you know, I've heard on your podcast where you've talked to different uh, logistics companies that are servicing, hey, where is my international container? When will that deliver? They can now pin it, point it down to you know, the minute it hits that uh, dock door or where it left port. That's what I would consider some of the easier ones. Where you start getting into the end-to-end supply chain and the harder ones is when you start talking about how is my industry being disrupted by weather for things that are impacted by the weather. For we, for us, where I produce, we sell to Walmart, Home Depot, and Lowe's. Um, you know, lawn and garden products. So when the weather changes, it has dramatic impacts on our sales. You also have things on political. You have commodity pricing where, you know, oil price moves up and down every single day. Um, There's a lot of other raw materials that are moving. And the faster that you can respond to that, the better you're going to be. You also have things that are like financial information where you have customers, competitors, suppliers who are issuing financial data, whether it's through D&B, annual reports. And you want to know, are people struggling? Are they growing? Are they gaining market share? Are they starting to default on payments? All that stuff is out there in the web. And if you have a computer system that can pull that in and you can make real-time information seconds after it hits the market, you're going to be a lot further ahead than your competition.
0: Absolutely. So, um, I think most of our listeners have probably heard about Waze. It's the uh, traffic app that uh, all the information is supplied by other commuters, and I use it all the time. I, I love think it. it's amazing,
1: especially but, in a city, a big city that has lots of accidents. Yeah.
0: So, Stephen, um, in one of your your talks and one of the documents that you provided to us, which I believe we're going to be using as a free resource to our listeners, is that correct?
2: That is correct.
0: Yeah, so they'll be able to find that uh, on our website. Um, You talk about comparing Waze to the IBP of 2025. Can you explain that analogy?
2: Sure. What I would like everyone to think about is consider Waze. Right now, uh, Waze has over 65 million users across the globe in 185 countries sharing data in real time. So for those who haven't used The Waze app, you know, they're going to share everything from the obvious of traffic flow. They will share road hazards, you know, where there's potholes, roadkill, and a lot of other things that's almost to the point of humor. They'll share where there is, you know, police officers on the car or, excuse me, police officers on the road. Um, Gasoline prices of if you want to see the lowest price of gas in a marketplace, it shows that. And a lot of other information real time. So if you take those elements that I just talked a couple of minutes ago about the financial, where customers are trending up and down, you start talking about social media, and if you can get that real-time into your planning environment with the right amount of exception reporting, you can do some things really incredible. When I say that, think about a system like that where you have that many millions of users who can share data and grab data, and then you can define on your system tolerance of hey, I want to know things about this industry and these specific uh, either commodities, customers competitors of the things that will impact you and that can feed to you at a tolerance and a data amount that you is reasonable for you because obviously we all know if you get too much data you can it's like drinking from a fire hose and you actually get less efficient because it's too much overwhelming. You know, it's dialing that in is what's the right amount of information for you to be productive, more reactive and responsive, but it's not a system overload. And the, the analogy that I use a lot of times with people is when you think about where we were before GPS and before the, you know, the apps that we have today and you say, hey, think about if we had a roadmap. map. And I wanted to go from, you know, where I am in South Carolina and I want to go to Florida. And I'm going to go on a, you know, 10-hour drive and get there. If I did that or use the equivalent of a ways today, people would think I'm looking into a crystal ball when I can say, Hey, guys, one, two miles down the road, there's going to be a police officer sitting on the right side. Five miles down from there there's going to be a gas station, and the price is going to be a buck fifty four down from there there's going to be a pothole on the road, and there's going to be an accident. so I want you to take this road and it'll be much quicker. That would be impossible to do back in the day when it was a paper map, and people would think you have a magical ability looking into a crystal ball, saying, "How can you see into the future?" The only way you can do that is to see in the future. Well, that's not true. There's people in front of me who's sharing data real time that makes it look like I'm going into the future. It's the same thing with where I perceive IBP is going to be going a decade for now, that it's not that we're seeing in the future, but we're getting the data so much faster, and it gives us the time to respond in kind of like a ways If there's a bad traffic accident, even though I'm going to go out of the way, a little bit, it's going to be faster and more efficient for me to get to the final objective or goal for the company. Does that make sense?
1: It sure does. So Steve, the next question I got is why do 75% of software projects fail?
2: Well, Nick, on that one, you know, Gardner did a study on it and the number one reason that they have is where projects go over budget and over their deadline. And what they see, is it's hard to estimate these things. Um, there's a lot of confusion where the, there's so many solutions out there, and typically salespeople oversell what the system can do. And what we see is 55% of the projects go over budget over the deadline. 48% go uh, get confused because they a mass amount of solutions out there and they're not sure which one's the pick, which is the best one for them. And then what we see for the third one, is it's a difficult to get people to adapt a new process. Um, a lot of people are aware it's hard to get people to embrace change. And for getting the group in the full organization to do that, you've got to have strong management team and explain how this is going to be beneficial to them to implement it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I I would agree with all three points. I mean, there's there's so many different companies out there, so many different solutions that do so many different things, and um, I know for even myself, it's hard to, you know, you go even if you go into an RFP and you've, you've sort of determined the number of companies that you're going to be, you know, talking to for that RFP. You you almost kind of wonder if there's maybe also somebody else out there, um, right? That maybe you're missing,
2: you know? Yeah, and it's trying to balance like you're saying, there's so many options, but it's then also, you need to know what you want going into that RFP and try to define it real well on the front end. Because if you keep on talking to everyone, the project won't get done in a timely manner. And that's sometimes where the first one comes up and you miss the timeline, because you just, you do an over analysis of it, or you go too far. And, uh, you know, when I look at, Some of the things where I believe we're going next of how do you prepare for this stuff, that's where you have to have that Kaizen mindset of you can't wait to the project or a month before the project. You have to be – this has to be an ongoing process. You've got to be challenging yourself, your teams, your other sites and locations of how do you keep moving forward and not waiting for that big event of, hey, we're going to do a new ERP system. We're going to move it to the cloud, or we're struggling here. You need to embrace these things and start challenging yourself every day to improve your process and define it and understand where your gaps are so when you go to market, you know exactly what you want. Here's my shortcomings. Here's what I need out of either a new system or technology, and you can define that very clearly to narrow it down of who's going to be a good fit for you.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, let's get into how companies can prepare for 2020. What actions can they take to they can take actually now, you know, in the present to prepare for that 2025?
2: Uh, and again, that that is where I'm going. Um, they have to just challenge them themselves. They can't sit stagnant. It has to be that kind mindset. And they have to be working on that stuff day in and day out. They have to be moving forward, and that's part of the IBP process. It is always getting better, understanding how to get from where you are today to your goal and stay a step ahead of your competition and challenging everyone within the organization. And, again, when I look at the three, you know, what I'll refer as to the three legs of the stool, you got your people, your process, and your technology. you got to understand you are going to get limited how far you rise up by which one of those elements is reducing you or limiting you the most. Um, a lot of the studies I have done, it is typically not technology. It, a lot of times it's the people or the culture. Yeah. And then also the business processes that are in place today are typically the largest limiting element and when you get those to a level that it's your technology that's limiting then you can find that very well and go to market and prepare for what's coming out with the ai but you could have the best system the most improved ai business process but if your people don't understand how it works if you don't have business processes that are in together that support it and people that are collaborating and communicating it doesn't matter the data that you have and the accurate accuracy of it. If you can't execute it, you won't be a competitive um, challenge in the marketplace.
0: Absolutely. So many key points there. And I think you give, you know. Uh- Especially our listeners, um, you know, a couple of actions to take and to make sure that all of you know what they have in place today is really going to help them in the future. So, thank you, Steve, for being on the show. We will have all of Stephen's details on the episode page at our website, twobabestalksupplychain.com. Remember that we're going to have that amazing free resource all about integrated business planning that Steve was so kind to give us, Um, and. I believe at the time that this episode is going to air, we're also going to have some additional uh, survey results from a survey that Steve's going to be um, doing in the next couple of weeks. So is there anything else that you wanted to uh, to say today, Steve? Well, thanks, sir.
2: Uh, a couple of points. On that, I'm going to be posting on LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to follow me on LinkedIn, again, Stephen, and my last name's Haney, H-A-I-N-E-Y, I, you know, Appreciate any followers, and I'll have more stuff on this. I also have a LinkedIn group, uh, Advancing IBP, SNOP, PSYOP, through collaboration and analytics. If anyone wants to join that group, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, and I got one question for you, Nick.
1: Sure, what's that? Steve? When
2: I hear the name of the podcast and when Sarah first met me and you know, kind of make that offer to, to join you guys, it, the name kind of stuck with me, and I heard the show, and I've seen some of your videos on YouTube. What involvement did you have in in this coming up with this name, and what's the background behind it?
1: It was pretty catchy, wasn't it? Didn't didn't you yeah, log in well, to see who the two it, babes it wasn't were?
2: what I expected when I first listened to. I was w- expecting two females talking, and not to say that you know your your voice doesn't fit what I was expecting, but it didn't fit what I was expecting.
1: I totally agree with that, but that's that's what works. It's kind of like sex sells.
2: <laughs> we okay. actually there there was we'll see a, if this part gets edited out or not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: there was uh, there was a group of us. I have uh, a few people that work for me in the in uh, marketing department, um, and Steve uh, Steve, sorry uh, Nick, had agreed to be my co-host on this. Uh, this podcast, and we were just sort of throwing out some ideas on some names and things like that from a marketing perspective, but also, you know, from a supply chain perspective. We wanted to put sexy back into supply chain. We, we, want, we wanted to make it fun. We wanted to make it informative, educational, and just someplace different that people could go to for some of their supply chain information. And uh, we just thought, what better way to do that than with the title, Two Babes Talk Supply Chain. <laughs>
2: It, it was great, and again, it, it is a it's a great podcast. I've been listening for it ever since we've talked, Sarah at uh, Scope. And uh, as you mentioned, it, it is wow, you got a lot of listeners, and it, it's growing each month. So congratulations, and I, I've enjoyed it.
0: Thank you so much. We love to hear from you guys. I mean, we we talk about reviews and and things like that, and that's we want to hear from everybody because that's just how we get better. So.
2: All right. Well, thank you, uh, both Sarah and Nick. I appreciated the opportunity.
0: Thanks, Steve. All right. Bye. Are you struggling to make the most out of your supply chain and keep the orders moving efficiently? IceCorp is your supply chain specialist, and they specialize in e-commerce, retail, and dropship distribution. They will provide you with tailor-made solutions that will drive your business and sales forward. To get your free assessment, visit them at icecorplogistics.com, and check out their learning center as they have some great free resources waiting for you.
1: Let the planning for 2025 begin. Thanks so much to Steve for showing us why and how to get started. Next week, we are talking supply chain podcast with Tim from Ship and Pod, and we will be joining him on his show too. Want to reach a new level of international business success? Then mix, mingle and learn from those who have been there, done that. Learn how to build your team, act on the latest trends, technology and policies, and plan your future in global markets at the International Business Conference in 2017. Visit fitfortrade.com backslash your future 2017 for more information and to register. This episode was produced by Mike Mazurek. We're your hosts, Nick and Sarah. And remember, folks, ship happens.